Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. Um, it seems like every week is a, is a heck of a defensive challenge for our offense with just the different types of uh, you know, special players at different levels of defenses we've seen lately. And uh, I think our guys are you know, understand the challenge again this week is a, is a heck of a task with this defense and the way they're coached and what uh, Robert does with this team. It's been impressive to see how hard they play. Um, they, they're fundamentally sound, technique sound, and they've got some really good players uh, on both sides of the ball, really. So a uh, heck of a challenge for us. Technique sound. Football. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know who's technically sound in his job? Darren Doogie Wolfson from the Five Eyewitness News sports team. He brings inside information about your favorite Minnesota sports teams on Reckless Speculation Thursday every single week. And bonus scoops on Tuesdays, the Scoop Podcast as well. Uh, Doogie, what's going on, man? Well, let's start Vikings here. Christian Derisaw still in concussion protocol. We can get to that. But how are you on this Reckless Speculation Thursday? I'm doing okay, Phil. Happy December 1st. We've made it to December. But more importantly, happy Reckless Speculation Thursday. Yes, let's it's get all that it. Matters. LFG, boys. Reckless <laughs> Speculation. So uh, we kind of thought Derisaw, the back-to-back weeks with concussions, Probably not going to see him for a while. And Kevin O'Connell, it sounds like, did confirm that he is still in the concussion protocol. So do you have any sort of feel for, I don't think he should come back a day sooner than, you know, feeling 110% just because of the long-term ramifications. He might be your 10-year franchise left tackle. But let's start there and other places along the Vikings injury report, Dukes. Well, sure. On Derrissaw, yeah. Don't expect to see him on Sunday against the Jets. Now, I wouldn't necessarily at this point rule out December 11th against the Lions. But yeah, like a second concussion over the course of two weeks, you're just you're not going to be able to clear all the protocols and return this soon. Not to mention the conditioning part. Like, shameless plug, I was catching up with my buddy Mike Gensel, Arizona Coyote Scout. Jet, I'm sure you see him in the XL Energy Center press box. All the time. You too, Declan. Mm -hmm. So his son, Jake, really good player for the Pittsburgh Penguins, had a concussion earlier this season. Mike told me Jake came back too soon. He was cleared in terms of his brain being okay, but he was far behind conditioning-wise. So you think about it, Christian Derrissaw really hasn't done anything conditioning-wise for, what, 11, 12 days, really going back to that Thursday or Friday entering the Dallas game. So he's just not from a conditioning standpoint in a position to be playing anytime soon if he somehow passed, you know, the fifth stage of of protocol. But yeah, he's not playing on Sunday. You know, let's wait and see where he is next week. This is not some sort of season-ending injury. I certainly foresee him being back at some point this year. So you're right, Phil. I mean, as good a left tackle as there is in the games. So the Vikings need him with their aspirations of making a deep run in January all the way to February in Glendale. Dalvin Tomlinson back Sunday. Caleb Evans back Sunday. Cam Dantzler Sr. says he'll be back for the Detroit game on December 11th. I still want to wait and see on that one. Like, he's going to be back. It's not a season-ending injury. But I just I need to hear a little bit more information that he'll be in a position to play a week from Sunday as opposed to maybe two weeks from Sunday against the Colts. Hey, Dukes, on Tomlinson, uh, he missed about – he's going to have missed about a month – um, that seems to me now their bodies are different, but they're both big men. That seems to me to be a pretty good parallel for cat because it's two big guys with calf problems. Uh, 
I, I read that Tomlinson's description of what happened to him sounds probably very close to what occurred with Cat on Monday against Washington. So all of that being said, it seems that you could draw a pretty close parallel time missed to how much time Tomlinson will miss uh, before he comes back against the Jets and what Cat's timetable might be. Does that sound right to you? It does sound about right. Like, you know, both more severe than a grade one. Like Jordan McLaughlin has been battling a grade one. That is a seven to 10 day recovery. Jordan plans on playing on Saturday against OKC, but he has missed five games. So grade two is more like a four to six to seven-ish week type recovery on Cat. Like we won't see him for sure before, well, for sure before Christmas, likely before January 1st. I mean, they will reevaluate in about four weeks around Christmas, then go from there. On Tomlinson, I will tell you, Judd, like I've said this before, I'll reiterate it now, they did think there was hope that he would be back for the Dallas game. Remember, like if they didn't think he'd be back for the Dallas game in the short week with the New England game, they would have made an IR move, right? right? Like if you're going to miss four games, go ahead and make the IR move. So they did think from the get-go, but yeah, big man, calf strain, like, it's just a recipe for many, many weeks, right? Even if you're not running a ton, like Tomlinson, just with his girth, his size, you just don't come back quickly from a grade two calf strain. You think Kevin O'Connell's going to win coach of the year, Doogie? Ooh, I think he's going to get heavy consideration. You know, as I go through the possibilities, I mean, Heck, the guy in Philly is going to get all, all sorts of love. I mean, Andy Reid, I mean, all they do is win. I like. I don't think Andy is going to get it, but certainly Andy deserves love in Kansas City. I mean, how do the Jets finish? I mean, considering the Jets haven't been to the playoffs in, what, a decade, a decade plus, right? If the Jets somehow get in, you know, could Robert get some consideration? You know, what about McDaniel with the Dolphins navigating the quarterback situation? They have a chance to win the AFC East. So I would think if they somehow win the AFC East, if Buffalo doesn't win that division, then Mike McDaniel would would certainly have a chance. But, yeah, I mean, he's in that conversation, right? I mean, undoubtedly, Phil, like if we're having a Coach of the Year conversation, Kevin O'Connell has to be mentioned. Speaking of that, too, and uh, just a shameless plug, of course, I wrote about this for VikingsWire.com yesterday, Justin Jefferson's MVP candidacy. Now, the award's been around since 1957. A wide receiver, as we've discussed, has never won it. Uh, The voting has been been changed. It used to be 50 50 guys vote, and as far as that goes, it's one name per ballot. They've changed it to a top five, so it's more akin to what baseball does now. But – I really think when you look at what Tyree Kill and Jefferson in particular are doing to dismiss them because it's become a quarterback award is ridiculous. I mean, wide receiver, the position itself has never been as important as it's become. And when you look at the impact that Hill and Jefferson in particular have had directly on their teams and their quarterbacks are playing fine. But the point is, I think this is finally the year that if you don't, if we don't see at least serious consideration for that position, They need to rethink the award itself and just call it a quarterback award. Well, sure. Call it quarterback of the year. I mean, right. Patrick Mahomes is winning MVP, Judd, right? I mean, unless he falls flat on his face, suffers some sort of catastrophic injury, can't play the rest of the year. I think the Chiefs quarterback is going to win, but I'm with you. He needs to be in the conversation. Think about the big moments, right? Game in London against New Orleans. Great throw, but created enough separation against Lattimore. A big-time catch in the Washington game when they're down 10, that comeback. Then you think about the Buffalo catch, right? Even against the Patriots, it was a really good throw by Kirk, but remember that catch he had? I believe it was 26-26. You guys might have a better memory than I, but it was. McCourty was coming in. The cornerback had good coverage. I thought it was a brilliant throw, but Jefferson still was able to be in a position to secure that catch to put the Vikings in a position to eventually score the go-ahead touchdown. So you think about those big moments, he absolutely needs to be in the mix. Yeah. Um, by the way, these uh, these scoops presented in part by our friends over at Lake Ridge Liquors. I want to throw a shout-out to them real quick. In Vadness Heights, helping you all stock, hopefully, mm-hmm. your uh, liquor cabinet, Declan, 
and maybe your wine collection for the holidays. Yeah, there's a thousand wines in stock if you're a wino like Phil, or maybe maybe you want to go to that 40 foot long wall of whiskey. It's a whiskey season for me right now. I, I do the tequila in the summer, then I go to whiskey in the winter time. Uh, great selections at Lake Ridge Liquors. It's off 694 and Rice Street in Vadness Heights, and they have a rewards program too. So when you go there for the first time, mention Score North. And they will comp you $5 in rewards on your next visit. Nothing like a good reward system to at a liquor store without frequent I like to go. So go check out Lake Ridge Liquors in Vadness Heights off 694 and Rice Street. Uh, and a shout out to our friends too at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has been helping us grow our business at Score North. Uh, and they provide a guiding hand and all sorts of experience in just helping business owners navigate the potentially choppy waters. Even when the waters are smooth, it's just a great guiding hand to help you maximize your business over a hundred years of experience. And they are an official partner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who we will talk about here shortly federatedinsurance.com where it's our business to protect yours. Uh, one more Vikings thing here. And it's more of a, uh, I guess I'm just looking for any Intel you have about the general culture. There's a lot of changes this year on the field. X's and O's, uh, you know, Kirk cousins has just performed so much better in high leverage moments. And we'll have more on that on Purple Daily today. But it just vibes is the word that I would use, Doogie. It just from the post-game locker room speeches that we get access to and just uh, the ability to bounce back from interceptions offensively. What have you heard about just the overall vibe behind the scenes and the culture change dating back to January and how it has manifested with a nine-win season so far? Well, I mean, Kirk Cousins spoke loudly after the New England game and again on Wednesday in the locker room about how Kevin O'Connell has empowered him. And he said, hey, it's hard for me to articulate, but there are examples, whether team meeting room, you know, quarterback meeting room, other instances on the practice field where Kirk feels empowered by his head coach. There's an ESPN.com feature story that just posted this morning, forget the author, but it's on Justin Jefferson, where in the story, it notes that Justin Jefferson never once visited Mike Zimmer's office. Kevin O'Connell invited Justin to his office soon after accepting the head coach position. Wow. Kevin said, hey, I literally had to like give him direction after direction because, you know, anybody who's been over to TCO, <laughs> it's a maze at times, right? It's not easy. Like if you're in the locker room to then go up to Kevin O'Connell's office you need to navigate a few different hallways, some staircases. And so Justin like had no idea how to get to Kevin O'Connell's it's a, office. It's a now, left at the water fountain, and then you go It down. is confusing as hell. <laughs> it is very confusing, but it's a yes. cool building. But, yes, it's a maze. But I will say, to defend Zim, like I don't remember the exact COVID protocols, but like if Justin wanted to go to Zim's office in 2020, could he? Like I don't remember everything with COVID – but nonetheless, security guy. No, Jefferson had never I think they could have. They could have found a way. They could have. Yeah, found a way. I mean, just the fact that Justin Jefferson had never been to the head coach's office—that's just another example, Phil. And I don't want to turn this into a Mike Zimmer bashing session because I still firmly believe third best coach in Vikings history. He accomplished no. a lot here. Fourth, fourth right? now. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll eventually have that conversation, right? But. Like, yeah, it's it's kumbaya in many ways. I mean, heck, I was talking with a an agent the other day. He's got a client in that Vikings locker room. He's got clients in other locker rooms. He said, I hear from my other clients about just how crappy their situations are. Now, he admitted those teams are losing teams. It helps to be 9-2. and two. But he said, my client there in Minnesota is having just a blast. So that's just another example of, of what you're speaking to. Speaking of that, kumbaya. So, Dukes, I, I went to the Wolves game l- last night. It was dead to start with, but uh, by the end, and with the fourth quarter put up by Ant, kumbaya is a very good word for a team that every other game I've been to in that building this year so far has not felt like a, like a bunch of people who have come together to try to win basketball. Actually, real, real quick, can I? Because we're gonna, we're the, so the three of us, Judd, Dex, myself, we're gonna spend a huge chunk sort of diving into our thoughts on what happened. But since we have Dukes, can we just pose a reckless speculation question, uh, like to what Judd's referring to? Let's just get right to the question. All right, well, go ahead. Would the Wolves be better without Carl Anthony Towns? 
Let's just throw well, it out. That's, I mean, that's the question, what's right? What's the return? Now, remember, they can't – I said this a few weeks ago. They wouldn't trade him at the deadline if they could, but the rules stipulate that based on him signing his recent extension, they couldn't even trade him until next offseason. So they cannot trade him this season. So he's not going anywhere. But, Phil, tell me what the return is. Is it a bunch of first-round picks? Like, okay, the Knicks, I'm telling you, there would be a handful of teams that would have interest, but I can promise you the Knicks would be in that mix. So who are you getting from the Knicks? I need it laid out. like Because I'm trying to avoid hyperbole based on on one game. Last yeah. night was great. Ant was special. He had more driving lanes than maybe I thought. I still think Cat offers that for Ant, that even though Cat is a driver, not a three-point shooter, he's a threat out there. So defenders have to collapse on him. So in theory, the lane then opens up that much more for Amp, but he found lanes last night without Cat, but I still think Cat brings plenty of value to this team. But I need to know, Phil, who is coming back to the Wolves? Then I can answer your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, that's the thing. Like, the the Knicks would be a team, and I've even just seen, like, on Knicks NBA Twitter and stuff, They, I think they would love Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know that that's the perfect collection of pieces that would – I'd have to do some more digging on that. Maybe at some point here in the while Carl Anthony Towns is out, if they keep playing this way, I will put together like three to five fun speculative trade packages for you guys. Maybe even next week. But I think it's really there are certain players in NBA history, recent NBA history, and hell, the Timberwolves have had a couple of them, namely Kevin Love, Demarcus Cousins over with the Kings. There are certain players in the NBA that can go get their incredible individual stats, and for some reason, it just like whether it's the way they play or the energy or just like a lack of chemistry or they're not great leaders or whatever, it's like those stats don't mesh well enough into the fabric and the culture of the team. And it, it has felt oftentimes, not all the time, because I agree, he is their best player, but it's like the Bill Simmons Ewing theory. That is, he's just kind of on an island, and and the and the collective isn't as is good when he's out there. I mean, the way that they played with energy, and it's a one game sample, but everything just looked free and joyful last night. <laughs> it did, but it also looked that way with Cat eight days ago in against Indiana. The, yep, that's now, true. Twenty two games. We can only point to those two. I thought they were good for the most part in Philly, but Philly's comeback, like I can't call that a complete effort. There's two games out of 22 where we can say unreal effort, minute one to minute 48, last night and the Indiana game. So yeah, we have the one-game sample size of last night without Cat, but we also have a one-game sample size with Cat. Now, when you eventually concoct those trade scenarios, New York, Dallas, Toronto, possibly Chicago, and I'll maybe get you another team or two, but definitely concoct ideas, New York and Dallas. So, Dukes, it's one game, but I want to go down this path just a bit here, too, because we've all covered sports, and we've all covered teams, and we've all been around teams and players a lot, okay? Um, I get it's one game, and I get that that the, the sample size police will be upset about this, but you can feel when it's different. You can feel, and I'm talking about chemistry. I'm talking about when puzzles look like they fit and when they don't look like they fit. Sometimes that's one guy's fault. Sometimes in the case of Parisi and Suter, that's multiple people's fault. But but what we saw, yeah, you know what? Exactly right. And then all the kids glom on to, well, this is how we do things. We're lazy. So the the key last night to me was you could feel it worked. You could feel it fit. And and when that game started and the Wolves were down 11 and 2 uh, 11 to 2 before sparse crowd dukes that building was dead and people were starting to boo and they're like typical bs timberwolves and then it started to raise a little bit and the chemistry started to come together because it's been missing so much and so i don't think it's reckless speculation to say when you've been around sports as much as we have you can feel when something is working and probably more importantly when it's not um and so that's the thing i think we're going to run in into here and flat out let's go back to a very key word empowerment when ant is empowered it makes a difference you know why because he can take the ball no pun intended and run with the empowerment ball carl can't where we are he is 27 i think he's eight years in ship has sailed can't do it so 
I will say this. Sample size police, trust sports dad here. Seen it before. We'll see it again. This is an important distinction of what we saw last night. The best part about Ant last night wasn't the points to me. Well, he made all his free throws because he hasn't been a great free throw shooter. But how about the multiple blocked shots, the multiple steals, right? He was so active last night, the team as a whole, generating 27 turnovers on the negative. Rudy Gobert plays 26 minutes, had one rebound. Rudy Gobert wasn't much of a factor on offense either, although how cool was that pick and roll when it was 99-94, a couple minutes to go, the game's still somewhat in balance, and, you know, Edwards throws it up to Gobert, and the one-hand slam, I thought that was a really cool play to make it 101-94. I will tell you, Judd, I thought long before last night, for this team to truly take a giant step forward, it has to become Ant's team. And, you know, there's different ways to to define that. But, you know, a popular buzzword would be he needs to be the alpha, right? However you want to define that. But there doesn't need to be any mistake about who is the guy on the team, right? There is no mistaking that Luka is the guy in Dallas, right? Giannis is the guy in Milwaukee. There needs to be no doubt here. Right. And hey, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, who's about to return for the Bucs, those are really good players. But there's no mistaking who the guy is in Milwaukee. I think that needs to be the case here that eventually for this team to take a giant step forward, Ant has to be that guy. Well, and, and that doesn't that make the next six to eight weeks crucial? That this would this would be I know he's only twenty one, but this would be the window. Well, it is. I mean you know, we hear all the time about guys taking a massive leap year two to year three. Wasn't last year John Morant's third year? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And he took a giant step forward. There are other examples. But, you know, we hear that all the time. Chris Finch cited that to me in a conversation before training camp about, hey, not just Amp, but Jaden as well. Like guys take typically, if they are to take a leap, it comes year two to year three. Well, here we are, year three. For Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was Ja's third year. This is his, his fourth year. Ja went. From, and I mean, uh, there are examples of guys not taking that leap, but, you know, just with Ja being here last night, that one comes instantly to mind. Yeah. He went from like 19 points a game to 27 and flirting with a, a scoring title. Uh, Ant so far this year in his third year leap, quote unquote, he's been better. His field goal percentage is up from, you know, 44 to 46. Uh, his scoring is up a little. It's like up two points a game. His rebounds are up a rebound a game. So there's there's been an it's not it hasn't been this huge leap yet, though. But if he plays like he did last night and he just has sort of free reign to control the offense at points and be the guy in the fourth quarter, you'll start to see more of like a twenty six to thirty point scoring average than a twenty two point scoring average. So Well, I mean, I hope we get to that point, but like I need to see more. Last night was fantastic. They should be able to beat OKC even with you know, not quite that effort on Saturday. But you look at their schedule, not just the next four to six weeks, Phil, but for the rest of the season, seventh toughest schedule in the league. I mean, the time to stockpile wins was early in the season, for sure through those first 12 games, but even, you know, games 13 to 20, but certainly those first 12. Like, you're going to look back and say, how did they lose to the Spurs twice? You know, the Spurs right now have, what, an eight-game losing streak. They are who we thought they were. Right, like the time to, to you know, garner all those wins was was early in the season because the schedule doesn't do them any favors the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give us some twins scoopage here? Reckless what are you hearing? So give us a give us what are you hearing? I, I know you guys have talked about this on Tuesdays too, but what are you hearing about Carlos Correa? Have the twins? What kind of offers are they talking about? What else are the twins up to here behind the scenes besides you know putting Joe Polat in charge? Yeah, well, winter meetings begin on Sunday, so. You know, look for activity, at least publicly, to ramp up big time Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from San Diego. But, yeah, I mean, Carlos Correa is priority one, and it's not close. Like, I don't sense they're doing a whole lot of other stuff. Yes, they are on the lookout for a catcher. Yes, they've had dialogue with other teams about trading for a catcher. They've touched base on some free agents, although no on Wilson Contreras, no so far on Tucker Barnhart. Now, you know, it's fluid. Things change very rapidly, right? But like to date, the Twins have not reached out on two pretty good free agent catchers. It's all about Correa. Now, 
they have planted seeds on Xander Bogarts and on Dansby Swanson. They need to have some sort of contingency plan, but they want Correa back badly. I saw that ESPN, Jeff Passan hopped in on what we've talked about for weeks, that the Twins are making a strong push. I saw the aggregators had some fun with that because, hey, he's got a loud national voice, but this is something we've talked about for weeks. The Twins have been making a very strong push to re-sign Carlos Correa. They are open-minded to multiple player options. So if it's an eight or nine-year deal, player option after year four, maybe after year six, or maybe it's after year seven, but multiple player options, full no trade. So the Twins are open-minded on those fronts. They're open-minded on term, you know, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years, even 10 years. The Twins are very open-minded. They're not going to do some sort of short-term deal again with, you know, a player option after the 23 season, nothing crazy like that again. But I'm just saying the Twins are trying to to be as open-minded as possible because the reality, Phil, is in all likelihood, the Twins are not going to make him the biggest money offer. That is going to come from the Giants or the Cubs, maybe the Yankees or the Dodgers, right? If Trey Turner ends up with the Phillies, what do the Dodgers do now? They could just pivot internally, move Gavin Lux to shortstop, do something like that, move Mookie Betts to second base, go sign an outfielder, something like that if they wanted to. But, you know, the point is the Dodgers have money, right? So, like, I don't foresee the Twins making the richest offer to Correa, but they are going to make him, if they haven't already, Phil, I wouldn't be shocked if they've already done it, made him a very rich offer. Dukes, what's the plan for the uh, bullpen? Given the trouble that this team had, and and I don't think they're going to alter their philosophy of starters, you know, coming out what we feel is probably too soon at times. Are they actively trying to pursue improvement there? Because I mean, to me, that that becomes absolutely paramount that they don't run the same type of bullpen out there that they did in 2021. Well, I mean, I'll just tell you, Judd. I've checked on a few of the high-profile relievers, and there's just there's no buzz right now. And again, maybe the Twins were waiting for the winter meetings. Hey, first time since 2019 winter meetings, you know, we'll see every agent. Now they saw a lot of the agents at the GM meetings a few weeks ago, but maybe a few more agents will be at the winter meetings. Hey, let's have that face-to-face dialogue as opposed to over the cell phone. But just so far, there just isn't, Judd. Like, and I've checked on some starting pitchers. Like, I'd love to see the Twins pursue Chris Bassett. I'm just, I'm a Chris Bassett fan. Uh, maybe the Twins prefer a lefty. Yes, they made a nice offer to Carlos Rodon last year. Not as much as the Giants, but clearly Carlos Rodon is on the Twins' radar based on what took place last March. And maybe it's a different lefty, although nothing going on with Jose Quintana. And we can debate whether Quintana's any good, but he's a free agent lefty out there. So I've checked on some of these guys. Nothing. Crickets. Maybe eventually. It could change, but nothing. It just it seems like 99.9% of the focus is on hey, can we find a solution to re-signing Carlos Correa? Then we'll go from there. While simultaneously, catcher. I mean, that's the one That's the one other area. Like, I can see them making a move on a catcher here in the next 7 to 10 days. Well, so uh, it's a Scott Boris client here, Carlos Correa. So isn't it likely that he's going to drag this for two more months? So are they just, well, just going to sit and wait until February 10th? The comeback to that is, Phil, like if you go back to the last winter meetings in 2019 – Scott took a few of his high-profile clients off the board. Garrett okay. Cole, Strasburg, you know, like, he's got so many guys. You know, even guys like Conforto and Cody Bellinger, you know, and, and obviously Bogarts. Like, you can't keep all these guys on the board until January 30th or February 10th, as you alluded to. Like, at some point, you need to take some of these guys off the board. Now, trust me. The Twins would like to wrap up a deal with Carlos Correa today. They would have loved to have wrapped up a deal with him last week, right? The Twins don't want this thing to drag on for a really long time. And, oh, by the way, Bogarts is plan B. Well, guess what? He's got the same representation. So they're kind of in that sticky wicket. But, yeah, trust me, the Twins are pushing for closure sooner rather than later. But I don't know if it'll be Correa. I'm just saying Scott is going to take some of his clients off the board you know, before what you alluded to, late January, early February. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, I do have one more Twins thing, Judd, unless you got, uh, it's like you're, you're, no. in chill, you're in chill mode. All right, I got, I've got one more Twins thing. We no, can, I'm very good. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so I, I know Joe Paulette a little bit just from, you know, covering that beat eight, nine, 10, 12 years ago. And 
I will say Joe Polat is a really, really good human, and he has spent several years essentially prepping to take over the organization. I would say the last like 10 to 12 years, and he did run the radio properties for a couple of years, and that really didn't go that well. But uh, yeah, Declan got a nice severance yeah. out of that, though. So yeah, paid to leave. Good. All good. Uh, but he's spent time in marketing, and I think he spent time in baseball ops and game day operations and all this stuff, right? Uh, so he's he's a really good human being, and I, I wish him the best. I wonder how much of a deviation he will be from Jim, who was very much – Jim wasn't exactly a force behind the scenes driving a culture, and he wasn't frontal with the public. He was just kind of a – I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I think I'm, Joe is going to be more outgoing – than Jim. I think Joe is That's going my to question. be in the What's office. What's it going to be like with Joe Polat? Yeah, I, I mean, he's going to be in the office more than Jim. So he'll be omnipresent. Heck, he'll pop into the clubhouse from time to time. He wants to maintain a rock-solid relationship with, you know, Rocco and players. Jim Polat wasn't doing that. Do I see some sort of, like, grand philosophical shift in how they, you know, go about signing players? No. And, hey. You know, they're going to make Carlos Correa the richest offer in team history, right? It'll trump what they gave Joe Mauer eight years, 184. Well, Jim is involved in that. It's not like Jim doesn't have his fingerprints somewhat on a decision like that. I've heard the same things you have, Phil. Now, you know Joe better than I. I did text him trying to get some interview time with him, and Mm -hmm. I was told we got to push that back a few weeks. So he's not quite ready to do a TV interview, but I look forward to, to sitting down with him, getting to know him more. But yeah, I mean, those who, who know him, those who worked under him at, at the radio station, like Declan, like, you know, our mutual friend, Dan Wessel, some others speak very highly of Joe, but you know, let's also be Frank, Phil. I mean, you know, yes, he was groomed for this position. He's tried to dabble in baseball ops, branding, marketing, all that stuff. You just don't ascend to a position like this at 40 years old without nepotism in play, right? Oh. Like it just, it is what it is, yes. right? But hey, it's the elephant in the room. It needs to be addressed, right? Like you don't become executive officer or whatever the official title is at 40 years old if your last name isn't Polak. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, right? how De- but, that's how Declan became the executive producer of Score North yeah. before the age of 30 because his groomed. sports. De- his sports dad is Judd Zolgat. Yeah, I get yeah, it. It's <laughs> yep. A lot of people wanted it. I'm like, yep. no, my sports son's getting it. Yep. <laughs> I was being but hey, kudos to Joe. You know, I mean, it's more people than I just named that, that I know that know Joe and say, good dude. Right. And, you know, I thought he handled himself well at the fashion show a couple weeks ago at Mall of America. You know, that's when that's when the light bulb really went off. The twins did call an all staff meeting a month ago for Tuesday, November 29th. So some light bulbs went off then. But then when Joe was introduced by Dave St. Peter at Mall of America a couple Fridays ago, that's when the light bulbs really went off. I thought, you know, that situation, I don't know how much experience he has addressing 500 to 1,000 people. You know, that can be a, a nervous situation, right? You're there on stage, all eyeballs on you. You know, it's not like he talked for five minutes, but he didn't stumble over his words. He looked comfortable. He handled that situation, I thought, pretty darn well. So, you know, I'll take a wait-and-see approach. I'm not knocking him, you know, because his last name is what it is. And that's why he's, he's in this position, right? Like, I want to find out, does he really love baseball? We've wondered that about Jim, right? Does Joe really love baseball? You know, and I'd like to find out just, you know, he's going to be there at target field a lot, but you know, how often, right? I mean, is he going to be there five days a week? Is he going to sit in on every meeting? So, you know, there's some specific details I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear from Dave St. Peter, team president, CEO, Phil. I just I get a sense that at times, you know, Dave, when he needed to have Jim at arm's length, he could. You know, how how will that dynamic play out, Dave, with Joe? So there's still all yeah. sorts of questions, but hey, congratulations to Joe, right? I mean, you know, he's been doing stuff since 07, waiting for this opportunity. Go ahead and run with it. You know, one last thing here for you guys. You know, as the 2012 Minnesota Sportscaster of the Year, uh, as voted on by the National Sports Media right. Association as the 2012 uh, Minnesota Sportscaster of the Year. It really saddens me again to see the, the 2022 finalist list came out. And there's some very respectable 
names on this list. I did not see Darren Doogie Wolfson. I did not see uh, Declan Goff or Judd Zolgad here. Uh, Corey Provis, Dan Barrero from KFXN, uh, Justin Guard from KFXN, Mike Grimm, the Grimmer, voice of the Gophers, uh, Reggie also a Wilson. former winner. Corey yeah, Provis, Reg- a former winner. Yeah, uh, Reggie, Reggie Wilson work over from Carolina. I just want to say, hopefully you guys can someday join the luminaries of Minnesota media, like myself, for instance, and at least become (laughs) maybe a finalist. I don't expect you guys to win like me, but maybe you can be a finalist at some point. We'll get there. We'll get there. It was a tough day yesterday. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I I got the text from Phil. Lost all sorts of sleep on that one. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how I'm going to move on. But, yeah, one day, Phil. I mean, I'm still young enough, 42 years old, so maybe the day will eventually come. Oh. The KFXN di- dynamic, uh, interesting there. Two guys on the same show. I, I wonder if that could create a division. If, some uh, infighting there. Oh, I wonder if the wrong gosh. person won, if that could create some division. Yeah. A schism, as we that, like to call it. That's why me and you were neglected, Judd. Maybe that's exactly what they didn't want. It, they didn't it, want to it's pit a three-man show. We don't want 66% of the show fighting against each other for the wrong right. reasons. I, that's probably why it's, we were. It, it's like when Randy Orton won the WWE Championship at yeah, age 24 and Triple H got jealous and then it blew up the whole faction. You never know. What well, and then imagine if Judd won it, like the ego in play, like yes. Phil, oh, like God. I typically think of your show being the Mackie and Judd show. Your yeah. name comes first. Very much capital yeah. Mackie. Yeah. What if Judd wins the award? Yeah. <laughs> imagine the ego in play. Like there's no oh. way he would accept oh. his name being second. In the title of the and, show. Well, if Declan and if Declan yeah. won it, all hell would if break. If I won it, we are uh, we are officially adding Mackie and Judd with Declan then to the name if the award was given to me. No, if you oh, won it, it would Declan be Declan with, with Mackie, Mackie and Judd. <laughs> you know, actually, funny story. So our guy, you know, Rami Makloff used to be with us at Score until the pandemic and a bunch of things happened. But uh, he, it was Mackie and Judd with Rami. And we did the afternoons live on the radio, and, and Rami is – I was texting with Rami last night. He's one of my favorites. And, uh, and, but when he jumped on board, say, I, we said, so we're going we're gonna to add a third person to our afternoon show, and, uh, just kinda, and, the, and we'll all be doing other stuff too, and we're going to call it Mackie and Judd because we've had that brand for like you know seven years with Rami. And he did, he did ask me, he goes, is there any chance it could just be Mackie, Judd, and Rami? And it was like a like a two day kind of like, wow! I never knew this. I, I don't think I ever. I, I, I never told him. you this. Yeah, I knew about this. So, oh, you know, Mackie wow. and Judd is a brand, and so and Rami is is a lot different than with Rami. Sure. You know, it's it's very it's so it's right now. Simple, but right now it's Towns Gobert with Ant, and that's created to be yeah. yes, and that's creating the problem. You figured it out. Ism. <laughs> yes. All right, Dukes. Thanks you want me for, to empty uh, out my figurative notebook real quick? If you've got, yeah, if you've got some. Reckless speculation. The Timberwolves had scouts this week at the Marquette-Baylor game, the North Carolina-Indiana game. There's a national report tying the Wolves to Jake Crowder of Phoenix. Here's I mean, what I would say to that, because I checked with somebody whose team was also attached to Jake Crowder. It's about that time of the year where teams are just calling each other, just getting a gauge. Mm -hmm. So, yes, do I sense the Wolves have had dialogue with Phoenix? I do. Do I sense the Wolves are making any sort of strong push for Jay Crowder? I do not, but I'll continue to track that situation. P.J. Fleck earned a $100,000 bonus for getting the eight wins, the win over Wisconsin on Saturday. Don't be surprised. Now, maybe not in the next week or two, but before next season, if P.J. Fleck signs yet, Another extension and gets another raise. It's the cost of doing business. He signed an extension one year ago when he signed it. At the time, he was tied for fifth highest coach in the conference. Since then, Kirk Ferentz, new deal in Iowa. Matt Rule gets a big deal in Lincoln, Nebraska. Luke Fickle gets a big deal in Madison, Wisconsin. And Brett Bielema is going to get a new deal in Champaign, in all likelihood, at Illinois. And Jeff Brom, Purdue, is playing for a Big Ten championship this weekend. So don't be surprised if Purdue does some stuff with Jeff Brom's contract. So point is, at some point here, P.J. Fleck might be ninth, 10th, or 11th in the conference in terms of annual salary. He's probably earned the right to be higher than that. So I'm just saying, don't be shocked if his agent, Brian Harlan, approaches Mark Coyle at some point here before the start of next season and says, my client 
needs a new deal. So just something to keep an eye on down the road. Great stuff, Doogie. Love having Doogie a couple times a week here. No dissension here. Mikey and Judd. No, not yet. No infighting here. Now not get yet. off my channel. <laughs> All right, Dukes. We'll see you next week, man. See you, All right, sounds good, boys. See ya. Bye-bye. Darren Doogie Wolfson here. Um, well, let, let's just transition right into the right into the goods here, boys. We we kind of asked this question to Doogie, but last night the Minnesota Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns absolutely stuck it to the Memphis Grizzlies in the second half. They especially the fourth quarter. And Anthony Edwards was the conductor of the arena, and yep. he was just the the energy of the crowd, the energy of even like Memphis players getting mad at the officials, and Edwards amping up the crowd and kind of mocking John Morant and like going going to shake his hand at one point. It was truly Anthony Edwards' night and team last night, and so I'm sure, in the absence of Towns, this will lead to some very level headed and reasonable discussions and debates about the future of the Timberwolves. Yep. Um, but, but it really was one of those games that makes you think. It makes you think about team chemistry. It makes you think about roster construction. It makes you think about Carl Anthony Towns. And I just want to start the conversation, unless you guys disagree, I just want to start the conversation by saying Carl Anthony Towns is arguably their best player. Certainly, statistically, he is. And I don't think any sane person is suggesting that you just get rid of him. Just get his ass out of here. Get get rid of him, right? Any future conversation on this Reckless Speculation Thursday, mind you, this is a safe space. Reckless Speculation. It's a safe space to, to go there, if you will. Any conversation about saying goodbye to Towns at some point in the future would be with the idea that you would get something of value back. You wouldn't just be getting rid of this guy that puts up, you know, historical shooting numbers for a seven footer. Absolutely. But the but the question of how good are the Wolves without Cat and is there a chance that they could somehow be like Bill Simmons, Patrick Ewing theory throughout the years, is there a chance that they are or would be better without this guy that shoots historical numbers from three as a seven-footer and puts up 25 points and double-digit rebounds, et cetera. Like, let's dive into this conversation, Judge. You were at the arena last night. Yeah, I was. And um, so here's here's the thing. This game is played by human beings, and that's where this becomes an important conversation because if this was just played on paper or by talents, then Carl Anthony Towns is fantastic. There's no question about it. But it's not. It's played by people who assume, who take on roles, and those roles are what create chemistry, and call it what you want. Call it chemistry, call it culture, I don't really care. Uh, it's very important. You, you play a lot of games, things need to work, people need to know their roles, and people need to, more importantly, I think, embrace their roles. For instance, like this show, we all embrace our roles. Like yeah, you if guys, I, you like, guys just sit there and shut up while I rant about yep, things. Yep. I mean, we no all embrace contact. our roles. The fact that I wasn't, <laughs> that I have not been recognized by by this MSBC uh, committee is very upsetting. I, I believe I am sportscaster of the, the here. Everyone else can screw off. But anyway, so Carl Anthony Towns, when he is playing, and I think this is where the conversation really becomes intriguing. When he is playing, he assumes this is his team. And he never shows any sign of saying, oh, boy, Ant's, Ant's got an it. Because he does. He has an it factor. But Ant turns it loose when he feels comfortable. So Ant's never going to overpower Cat to be the it guy unless Cat's not playing. For instance, D'Lo doesn't care. D'Lo's going to do what D'Lo does. And at no point in time do I feel like he's like, I am taking over this team. Team. Cat he, he uh, is always talking about the fact, you know, post game press conferences. There's a reason he comes out and always talks, and there's a reason why he insists on, you know, these. We've got to toughen up and th- this and that. But as far as I'm concerned, it's all lip service. What we saw from Ant again last night, and it built up too. The fourth quarter was incredible. 17 points, absolutely the heartbeat. Showed what Ant can be, and. and as I prepped for this conversation this morning, that's the word I wrote down, heartbeat. The heartbeat of this team. Carl wants to be it, and he thinks he is. 
but he doesn't have the necessary factor to pull in his teammates. Anthony Edwards has it. It's a God-given talent. You can't say, this is me. Doesn't make Cat a bad player. But I think you have a problem until the day that Cat understands what his role is. Okay, well, let's let's put Judd in timeout here. We've lost Judd and his internet connection. Uh, we heard most of it, but let me let me. I think there's statistically, Carl Anthony Towns' Dex is their best player. Like, and yeah. this is the argument that I think it's it's hard to wrap your head around some of this because when you start to suggest that they might be better in some ways without Cat, immediately you can just go to like the statistics and say, well. Okay, well, he's find another guy that's going to shoot like that as a seven-footer. You can't find another guy that's going to put up like 23 and 10 and five assists or whatever. Like, statistically, he is their best player. And I, I'm not even saying automatically they would just be better if you extracted him. I think I, I w- I'd want to know what are you getting in the trade? What other pieces of value would you bring in as you look, as you look to build something? But the next four to six weeks are going to be a really interesting sort of maybe power shift in the Timberwolves because you will get to see, okay, that thing that they did last night where they just ran Memphis out of the gym, are they going to do that more often? Are they going to play more freely? Is the energy going to be different? Is Anthony Edwards going to be different? So you're going to, it's all, the cat thing is going to kind of play out, you know, in the next four to six weeks. But there's been many examples in NBA history, and there was one glaring one here 10 years ago where a guy is statistically the best player on your team, DeMarcus Cousins, yeah. Kings. Uh, Kevin Love is the example that that I go back to with the Wolves, where statistically, like, God, this guy's putting up 25 and 14, and he's shooting threes every single night. DeMarcus Cousins was the same way. But the individual performance and statistics, for whatever reason, don't like integrate into the team or – they. They're not like enhancing the other eleven or twelve guys on the team. They're just, they're just like um, mercenaries out to get their own. And sometimes I feel like Towns, like against the Pacers last week, it felt like he was part of this whole team and everything was. It all felt integrated together, and that was the the plan that you thought you were getting when they signed Rudy Gobert or traded for him. But then there's a lot of other nights where it just feels like okay. He's putting up his numbers, but his energy and his incessant foul trouble and his sort of harumph demeanor is dragging everyone else down. And so I love, I don't, I hate that he's injured, but I love that they now have to sort of sink or swim without him just to see what it looks like the next four to six weeks. I think, I think two things are true. I think if you were to just ask me who is the more just gifted basketball player, Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards, I would say Towns. Just in terms of just natural ability, Carl Anthony Towns. The dude is seven foot tall. He can hit three pointers before he can get low in the paint. He can grab rebounds. He can do literally anything and everything on the court. But there is something to be said about the chemistry, about the camaraderie, about body language, and about eight years in the league, you kind of know who the guy is. There was a play yesterday where Anthony Edwards clearly gets fouled and probably should have gotten an one call. And instead of sitting there being, what? He's, he's transitioning back, being like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't get the call. But he's transitioning back. He's, he's, he's getting back on defense. He's literally realizing, ah, I needed to get that call, but I'm not going to sit here and just and stand and not help my team back. How many times have you seen Carl get up there? And look, Carl gets hacked a lot. I agree. He sometimes should be getting more calls than, than he isn't. But he just sits there and kind of mopes, and, and, he's, and he's just dumbfounded by the fact, again, I can't believe I'm not getting the call. And here's Kyle yeah. Anderson and guys being like, dude, get back. I've seen this happen. Like, get back. You have to at least transition. You didn't get the call. It's a quick game. You can't just sit there and watch and, and, and plead, you plead your case. Um, I love this idea that they get to figure this out kind of without Cat. Yeah, it's unfortunate he's injured. I don't wish injury upon the dude by any means. Um, but there is definitely something about the mental makeup that this team could be better with it. It was different with the Wild with Parisi and Suter because those guys were up there in age and they just had to make a decision there. And it was gutsy and it, it's going to hurt them still for two to three more years because of the buyout penalties that are against the Wild. Um, but the Wild were better without Parisi and Suter. And I think the the initial thought was, oh my God, like, yeah, the Capits are going to stink, but are they even going to be better without them? Yes, they are better without Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. 
And I'm curious how this now kind of affects from the Timberwolves side. How are they going to be better without Towns? And if they are indeed better, if they're, you know, uh, five to seven games above 500 and just obviously improving without him, well, then what do you do long term? And they could easily just come out on Saturday as their next game against OKC, and they could just like put a dud up, and then it puts a puts another wrench in this in, into this discussion. And I will say that game at Indiana the night before Thanksgiving, it was it was kind of similar, and that it felt like the vibes were there, the chemistry and the sharing and moving of the basketball all felt like it was there in that game. And Cat was very much a key figure in that win. So we ha- we have seen what it looks like at its peak, including Cat, and we saw it last year, including Cat. But I just think, I keep going back to this, man. It's been eight years, and I just think when Cat when is the featured leading player and culture setter on a team, that team is not going to go all that far. They're just not. like they They can get to the playoffs, and they did last year. I think he needs to settle into more of a supporting cast role, both as a leader and as a player. If if he can be like the second or third guy, and there's clearly a pecking order, and, and that's why the next four to six weeks are going to be really interesting. Does Anthony Edwards officially step into that role? Is he really the guy that's going to, okay, now this is officially his team. Sorry it had to happen because of a calf strain. But now when you come back, Cat, Everyone's deferring to Anthony Edwards. And Ant has to, this is the thing about Ant too. There's a lot of games where he just will take either the full night off defensively or last night for 48 minutes, that dude was all in engaged defensively. He was a menace on the perimeter. Uh, He only scored like one point between the second and third quarters on offense, but he was still moving the ball, getting the ball to teammates. And then then when it came back around in the fourth quarter, now it's his time to just take the game over. So. I don't know. I, I'm just posing the question. To what extent are and would they be better without Carl Anthony Towns? And I don't know how you can't at least think about that after what happened last night. One game sample, totally get it, Judge. Do you think Cat can do those things, though? Take a kind of a back seat? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird because I think he he really wants to be sort of the man in that regard. Yes. yes. But he doesn't necessarily have the personality or the tools. He, I've, I've tried to think a lot about, like, what bothers me about him? Why do I get so, like, irrationally annoyed by him? And I think it's that he lets circumstances, external circumstances, the flow of the game, officials, his own makes or misses, whatever. He lets external things sort of dictate his own emotions. He doesn't he doesn't control things as much. And he's kind of a basketball victim. He just has sort of a of yeah. he's being victimized by things, right? It's unfair that this is happening or um he has more control he would have more control than he sometimes thinks he does if he had a different personality. Right, but the KG issue is- felt like everything was always in his control. Yeah, Kobe felt like everything was always in his control. But what did those guys give off? They gave off great vibes. Ant, when he's going well, gives off great, great vibes. Um, Cat like, does, and by great, I mean joyful, hard, like hard no. I mean, I want to follow them. Yeah, like I, I like it's not hard to see people who you're you're like, and there's not a ton of these folks. But when you meet someone and you're like. I'd follow that person. Mm-hmm. You know, Ant, when he's going well, does that. Kobe, Jordan, and I'm going through some great names here. But they did that, and you were like, okay, I'm all in there. And with Cat, it's like he wants that, but he doesn't have it. And then I just feel like, yes, victim is the perfect word. Fouls are never his fault. And he doesn't get, he doesn't get angry. He really pouts. Yeah, last night felt like... It felt more joyful. It felt more free flowing. Anthony Edwards just felt—I don't know—he just felt like he was in control of things more. It was just there's some, there was something about it that you you can't just quantify in a box score. And when you jumped out for a second, I brought up the examples of like there's there are other big men in recent NBA history that are statistically unquestionably are the best player on the team, but it doesn't translate to like full team harmony. DeMarcus Cousins with the Kings for all those years. Yep. Kevin Love 
with the Timberwolves. Yep. Kevin Love needed to sort of go be, go be like the third guy, or go be the. And even now he's having this resurgence as like a guy that kind of comes in as the fourth guy or the guy off the bench or whatever and in keep, his thirties now. Keep in mind too, he has really found himself as a person. Like, like think about and and this is the thing: if you're going through struggles, you know, off the court mentally, nobody's saying that you are a bad guy. But you think about like how long it took Kevin Love to find him, himself. And so, like, credit to him. He's done a lot of work on on his own uh, um, personal life. But those are the type of things I'm saying that you just can't show up at the arena and be like, I'm the guy. Nobody can. You know, you don't You don't get to name yourself captain. No. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. The other thing off, uh, well, wait, before we get to this, there's another topic I want to hit on from last night's game quick. But I don't think we're going to resolve this cat thing. But I don't think it's unreasonable to keep asking the question. Okay, what what is the, what does this team's pecking order need to look like, and what would they be like without Cat and with other assets instead? With the start the start to the season here is very discouraging. Yes. Um, no, they're they're back to five hundred now, but this next four to six weeks is going to tell you a lot about what this thing should look like going forward. And the one thing I saw on the floor last night that was very important that we probably have not seen a lot of is everyone who played, I felt, for the most part, understood what their role was supposed to be. There's been a lot of confusion. Like last night, defensively, they played a really good game, and they cleaned things up, and I think part of that was because everyone on the floor understood, here's what you need to do, um, and you need to do it, too. Yeah, It was like Jalen Noel and, uh, all right, Jalen Noel and Anthony Edwards, it's your guy's job to get buckets. There's going to be some of the time where it's going to be Delo's job to get buckets, but he's also going to have to facilitate and get this thing going. Everybody else, you're moving off the ball. You're trying to grab rebounds, but unsuccessfully. Right. Like out rebounded by 30 last night. Uh, you're playing perimeter defense. Okay, one one other thing from last night. We'll get to some old tweets exposed here too. This um, this idea that Rudy Gobert didn't really even do anything last night. You're paying this guy all this money. How can he only grab one rebound? They got out-rebounded by 30 last night. And, yeah, like, it's very rare that you would ever be out-rebounded by 30, let alone win the game. So that alone is, like, worth a 30-for-30 documentary. How the hell did that happen? But last night, if you were watching closely or just watching even at all, I guess, in the fourth quarter, was a great example of Gobert's hidden value that we talked about when they traded for him back in July, Mm -hmm. that he's – there's going to be nights where he does stuff the box score and goes like he was seven for seven from the field a couple games ago. There's going to be games where he goes for like 19 and 18 rebounds and three blocks. But there's a lot of things that he does that just don't show up as a block or a rebound. Mm-hmm. Memphis turned the ball over 24 times last night. They shot 42%. They only scored 101 points, 15 below their season average. Was that just a coincidence? Did you see how many shots, and you were sitting right there, did you see how many shots Rudy either turned away, altered, or just like derailed an entire possession? Or a guy throws a bad pass because Rudy Gobert is standing there with his wingspan. Last night, fourth quarter, was a great example. His presence altered that game. Whether he was grabbing rebound, like he's contesting shots. He's not going to contest shots and grab all the rebounds. Sure. Um, so you can complain about the box score all you want, but him being in the game for 30 minutes or whatever it was after foul trouble was a huge, huge reason why Memphis turned the ball over so much and scored only 101 points. Yes, which is exactly the opposite of what took place without Gobert in the playoffs, right? Like if, if Ja doesn't get to the basket like he did in the playoffs, the Wolves win that series. Mm-hmm. So, yes. All right. Old tweets exposed. Let's do this. Let's do it here to wrap this Mackie and Jen episode. This is where Declan goes back in the archives and humiliates us, basically. Okay. So I wanted, uh, I was looking back at things we were saying with at the beginning of the year, and I was trying to pull some stuff. And there's definitely some contenders, and probably can have multiple weeks of old takes exposed from what we said at the beginning of this year regarding the Vikings, by the way, who I am talking about. However, uh, I found a different avenue that. I don't believe we've explored on old tweets exposed. Remember when the Vikings uh, traded for Unique and Gakwe? Oh, yeah. That was very exciting. Very exciting, right? We all had very interesting takes on that, and I'm going to crescendo here. I'll start with Declan, 
which I I know I'm self-reporting and I am self-reporting. I probably am tamer here. But here's what I said, like the moment the trade broke when Judd and I had to hop on an emergency podcast. I believe even this was like when restaurants started to open back up in the middle of COVID. Because keep in mind, this happened like August of 2020, late August of 2020. So I remember rushing back from brunch. And here's what Judd and I had to say on the Ngakwe trade. Here's my take. Um, they, they made it, they made it hard on opposing quarterbacks. And yeah, I think a lot of teams probably looked at the Viking situations, most notably NFC North teams and said, okay, they lost Everson Griffin. They still have Daniel Hunter, who I think everyone can recognize is obviously top five at, at what he does at his position, but how are they going to replace it? Well, now you got in Gakwe and it makes it that much more difficult to game plan. And those are, these are now two guys that you can get creative with. Like you saw in the saints game where then they switched them up. You have, obviously, Daniil going on the other side, and then Everson rushes. Like, they can get so creative with how they want to rush the quarterback. So creative. So yes. creative. You're and Everson creative. Griffin, top five guy going into 20. I don't know if, I mean, he was still good. But probably it was a little no. high on Everson Griffin being top five going into 2020. <laughs> yeah. No. A little high. I think that, yeah. I, was, I, well, I, I mean, I don't know what, you, what else you got for us here. I, I love that trade at the time. I thought it was a great mm-hmm. trade. All right, here's a little afternoon Judd on this take. Single time. Now, on the surface, this trade is two things. One, it's surprising, and two, it's outstanding. This, it's outstanding because now you can pair Ngakwe at the right end, and he replaces Everson Griffin with Daniil Hunter, who also is 25. Think about this for a second. At the left end, and we're talking about Ngakwe had eight sacks in 15 games playing banged up last year. Hunter has had back-to-back 14-and-a-half sack seasons this has the potential to be a complete nightmare for opposing tackles. My favorite thing about that clip isn't uh, how excited Jeb yeah. was about it. It was the mad so, scientist hair. I haven't and showered the yet. Shake, the shaky phone camera. I'm not there, sure why too. the camera's shaking, but I was, uh, yes, I, because you're I hadn't just, showered. Like, moving your arm couple, while couple you're doing things. the video. Well, I, I trimmed Coffee? out the beginning of that, but you literally, uh, you prefaced, you pulled a Beatles line. I woke up and I did not run a comb throughout my head. Uh, you, you, oh, you were, you were co- quoting okay, a day good. in my life. And, uh, yeah, and life, yes, yeah. it was very early in the morning. Judd was, you know, we're in like that pre, the early pandemic stage. So I'm sure Judd was like, Right? In. I think it was a Saturday. I think it was okay. a Saturday morning, if I remember right. It was good. No, that's um, that's bad. Some of Judd's best uh, hair and camera work there. I think. <laughs> I think you should bring that look back. Can we just? No. You ever try like the no. spike kind of way Declan does? Like just little sort of, product, just a little some gel in your hand and kind of like. I know it product. looks like there's a lot of product. There actually isn't. That's just good hair jeans. That's just that's no, just what that looks. Don like. always tells me put product in. I'm like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. When's the last time you put product in your hair? The last time. She pulled me aside and put product in, in my hair. <laughs> which, I don't put product which in my was, hair. Which was when? Like, give me a year. Oh, probably my niece. No, probably my niece's wedding in July. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, so recently. Good, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's good. Well, yeah, July. Okay. It's December now. Fairly fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Five months. <laughs> okay, all right. What, what else we got? We got one more take from Mackie Mac on the Ngakwe trade, but this is now post. This is a reaction of when he got traded to the Ravens midseason, because remember he was then traded like seven weeks later before the trade yep. deadline. Here's what Phil had to say, more of the long-term play of the Vikings after trading Ngakwe. Oh and part of the problem right now for the Vikings, and just, just to be clear, I think the trade of unique Ngakwe signifies the end of the Kirk Cousins era here. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know if they're going to find a trade partner. I don't know if they're going to have to just eat a ton of caps, uh, cap money over the next couple of seasons. But I think this now signifies the waving of the white flag on the Kirk Cousins era. Not, it's not going to be tomorrow. You know, I, Sean Mannion isn't going to start. Nate Stanley is not going to start. Kirk Cousins will probably bounce back and have a couple decent games going forward. Okay. But I think this is the first step in him not being the starting quarterback. For sure, beyond 2021, they might have to swallow something in 2021. I've been trying to get rid of Cousins for like three years, haven't I? Hater. 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 (laughs) Hater. Yeah, I think I'll take the L. Take the L on that one. The Vikings could fire an equipment guy, and Phil would be like, "Well, clearly that's the end for Cousins." Because I mean, the new equipment guy is not going to want to. Uh-uh. Yeah. By the way, uh, get your Mister Fourth Quarter Comeback hooded sweatshirts and T-shirts at scorenorth.com/shop. That's scorenorth.com/shop, where you can get your Mister Fourth Quarter Comeback swag. Uh, Judd, tell the folks here of Mackie and Judd, where they can find some great stocking stuffer gifts here. Spiral Light Candles. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. In, in fact, right now, if you go to spiralightcandles.com, you can check out their 
holiday savings. And I'm going to tell you right now, Dawn Zolgad has taken advantage because she loves the, these candles. They're exceptionally cool. They burn down spirally, as they say, but then there's a wick in the bottom that burns for a long time. The uh, the aromas, glorious. We've got cinnamon, bark, and clove, oh, evergreen, yeah. cranberry, mango. Origin, can, we get, can we get an aroma shadow candle? Origin, no, but you know what you can get? A Judd's Purple Positivity candle to celebrate the purple success and to calm you when moments get a little bit tense as they have throughout the course of the season. Spiralightcandles.com for a, a birthday, for the holidays, whatever you're celebrating, your mom, your your girlfriend, your wife's going to love it. Spiralightcandles.com. Love it. All right, there is Mackie and Jello Reckless Speculation Thursday here. And it's a safe space, okay? You know, if you're if you like Carl Anthony Towns as a franchise player, okay, you, that's or Kirk Cousins, or Cousins, yes. This is a safe space to speculate on the future of Minnesota sports teams. We'll see you guys for Feedback Friday tomorrow. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.